Welcome in to the Eyes on Texas Multicast. That's right, coming to you live from the capital city of the great state of Texas, overlooking downtown Austin and the 40 acres. It's the weekly broadcast, now bi-weekly broadcast, that understands the pride and tradition of the Texas football program will never be entrusted to the Timber of the Week. This is the Eyes on Texas Multicast, where we're product of the Republic of Football on the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network, powered by our presenting partners at Grande Equipment and our other founding partners. We'll tell you about them throughout the hour. I'm Aaron Hogan, morning show host at The Horn here in Austin. He is the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine, back from Aggieland with his trip to uh, College Station to cover Alabama and A&M on Saturday. We'll get some thoughts on that. Obviously, all of our eyes will be on the Cotton Bowl from Saturday and a very bitter, disappointing loss for the Longhorns, 34-30 to to their arch rivals. We'll talk about it for an hour. We'll break it down, the good, the bad, and the ugly from the Texas loss, what it means big picture. We'll get you caught up here from Steve Sarkeesian and recap it all. I do want to tell you that uh, once we, if you're finding this, you probably found it on on YouTube. Maybe it's on the Horn FM and Austin's YouTube page or Dave Campbell's Texas Football YouTube page. Also available to download and listen to on iTunes and Spotify. You can also follow our show on Twitter at the Eyes on Texas FB and on Instagram at the Eyes on Texas Pod. Also on Facebook, we're live at... Live at uh, Eyes on Texas podcast as we start. Uh, Mike, how 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 was Aggieland before we get too deep into the Longhorn game? It was good. 108,000 people, you know, maybe the best, you know, home view experience, at least in this in the state of Texas. I think it's top four or five in the country. Just a unique experience at Aggieland for all their all their Weirdness. You know, craziness and that kind Weirdness. of stuff. Some of the, hey, as long as you get to leave after the game, it's not bad, right? You get stuck there. Maybe that's a, that's a little difficult. But uh, you drive in, you drive out, you experience a football game. It's still a lot of fun. Can't wait to see uh, Texas and Texas A and M next get year. That going next year. That. We haven't have a, don't have a date on that yet, but anticipating a great game. Uh, Nolan Hogan is our digital producer. You see him and hear him. Griffin Hogan is our ed- editor and executive producer. And uh, we will talk Texas OU thirty four to thirty. And I'll say this before we talk about our presenting partner and start our first quarter. OU is a more prepared team, better coached, more physical, more played more desperate football. The team that heard about 49 to nothing for 364 days and took that to the field and played like a hornet's nest on the field. And props to them. Full credit to Brett Venables and his staff. Uh, that was all gas and no breaks. That was a team that came to uh, to beat Texas that day. Uh, they executed their game plan. They scouted Texas incredibly well. And it's a pretty remarkable rebuild from one year to the next versus what Texas played last year. Uh, we'll talk about it. We also said, Mike, that OU had really one path to victory, in my mind. I mean, they, they needed to force a, a pretty clean and mistake-free Texas team for the first month of the season into some mistakes. And then their quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, has to play the game of his life. Both happened. Check and check. Both happened. So we'll talk about it. Dylan Gabriel was tremendous. We'll talk about those Texas mistakes. Uh, but not all is lost. The Longhorns still can um, play their way back. To a rematch, we talked about this last week on both of our episodes. That if they if these two indeed do meet two times this year as members of the Big 12, the second one will be the most important game. This one was big, but the second one would mean Big 12 championship if they can both get back there. We'll talk about the paths to that as we get going here. Do you want to tell you about our presenting partners at Grande Equipment? Our buddy Wes Murray and his team, great friend and partner. He was at the game, bitterly disappointed, so he'll be watching this. We'll recap it for you, Wes. Thank you so much. Understands that your reputation is all you have when it's time for a construction project or whatever your project. You need heavy equipment, they're going to get it for you, whether it's a rental uh, or a purchase. 
Uh, they've been doing this for 31 years. They operate that way. It's a relationship business, not a uh, just a handshake deal. They're going to work with you, a partner on every project you have front to back. Uh, you need the right piece of equipment for that project. You need it on time, job site ready, hassle-free. That's how they operate. They're also independent, which means they work with all major manufacturers, Caterpillar, John Deere, Komatsu, Volvo, and more. Heavy equipment sales and rentals. It's grandeequipment.com. They also have a new renewable energy sector, supporting solar projects all over the country and all over the world. Pile driver application, new and used equipment for the capability of renting statewide and nationally. Grande Equipment, independent dealer. Find them online at grandeequipment.com. Uh, they don't overpromise at Grande. They over-deliver. Let's get it going. We break the Eyes on Texas multicast into four quarters each episode, just like a football game. Second quarter, we'll talk about and hear from Steve Sarkeesian what went right at the Cotton Bowl, what went well, what they can take from it and build to the second half of the year. In our third quarter, we'll preview the bye week. Longwoods without a game this week. They'll get ready for the Houston Cougars a week from Saturday. Uh, we now know that that is a 3 o'clock in the afternoon kick time. Can't tell you that. So we'll start looking at Cougars and uh, what the Longhorns will do with their week off in, di- in, in, in addition to getting healthy, which is going to be a big one. Uh, also in our fourth quarter, we'll look at the uh, final four big questions coming out of college football after week five or week six, which we had just past week. But let's get it kicked off with our first quarter, presented by Dr. Greg Eckert and his irrefutable research-based brain vault technology. More than a mouthpiece, it's an orthotic that is a proven way for young athletes and old athletes as well to play hard, but play safe by minimizing the risk of concussions. We'll tell you about brain vault coming up. But Mike, let's dive into the incredibly disappointing 30-40-30 loss for Texas to their bitter rivals at Oklahoma. I mentioned the paths to victory. Oklahoma, the more prepared and more... Uh, just desperate team it looked like. What were your overall thoughts from watching the game from Aggieland? Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of, you know, not just us, we all, we all kind of knew how this game was going to play out, right? Like, Texas is the better football team. I think, I think you know, even after 60 minutes on Saturday and losing that, that game, I think most of us go away going, you know, Texas is the better football team if they're pl- both playing their A-plus game. But that's not how football works. You know, you don't you don't always play your A-plus game. This isn't a video game. And for as long as you I've can't been push alive, reset. right? For as long as I've been alive, Red River has come down to turnovers and who can run the football. And you know, Oklahoma didn't do it in a traditional way, but you look down and they were able to run the football better because of what Dylan Gabriel was able to do uh, with his legs. And then you look at the turnover margin, and one had three and one had zero. And then you add the red zone mistakes in there, uh, and it was it was pretty amazing that Texas was in this game. I, I went back and watched it, you know, for a second time this morning. And you, the, the more you watch it, the more you see the mistakes and go like, wow, it, it's actually uh, kind of amazing that Texas stayed in this one. Two interceptions and one fumble. They also have a turnover on downs on that goal line stand. Yeah, I caught that four interceptions uh, or four turnovers. I well, really it do. really was five because in the, in, the, in the late in the first quarter, they run into the punter and that extends a drive that then uh, on fourth down, that gives them a first down when they were going to punt. And they go kick a field goal on that one. So mm-hmm. uh, they really were given five new possessions by Texas and still only one by four. I think if you're Texas and you're regrouping, you're going, hey, we made all those mistakes. We played our C-plus game. We were within four points. If we can get into Arlington and play those guys again, we're going to win that football game. But on the flip side, you made those mistakes. You lost that game, and now you got to be perfect the rest of the way out to, to exceed your goals. Indeed. Agreed, 100%. And uh... – Ditto to what you said. And so five turnovers or five extra possessions, which was also a path to victory. And let me give credit. This is where I'll say Brett Venables and his team. They did have the luxury of the easy schedule. So you realize before Saturday, folks, Dylan Gabriel rushed for an average of 30 yards a game. They did not put this on tape. Dylan Gabriel's legs were not a part of their game plan in the first five games or the four games. They just weren't. Um, he ran some. 
but certainly not like he did in that game. They understood they were not going to have a traditional run game against Texas with their backfield and Texas' defense, and they found other ways. In addition to Dylan Gabriel with 15 carries and over 100 yards, which completely surprised Texas, which I think knocked them off their pass rush, they were, whoa, what is this? Uh, this is brand new to us. We have not seen Dylan Gabriel running like it looks like Vince Young out here, for crying out loud. Uh, and then they had you know Jalil Farouk, who's their best wide receiver, uh, for early on, he was lined up in a wildcat, and he took three carries. Non-traditional run plays. Drake Stoops on the jet sweeps. They found non-traditional race to run the ball. Uh, Jonathan Brooks ended up with 133 yards for Texas, so they did run it. But Oklahoma ran it a lot better than we all thought they would. If you look at their traditional running backs, each of them under three yards a carry. Texas did a great job against the Tywee Walkers and the Marcus Majors and those guys. But those guys did do a great job in pass pickup, in blitz pickup and pass rush. They did a really good job of keeping Dylan Gabriel clean, and that was a huge factor in this game. Let's hear from Sark. Uh, his overview, the turnovers, and the keys to the loss after he rewatched the tape like Mike did this morning. He watched it on Sunday. The turnovers were a factor, not not necessarily because of the points that came off of it. I thought our defense did a great job of minimizing three turnovers to only seven points. But those are momentum plays, right? They, they create momentum for you uh, when you can generate them. And so three to nothing in turnovers was an issue. Um, the nine penalties were an issue because that was that's out of character for us. You know, I think we're averaging just about four penalties a game. And, and to have nine in the game, uh, the pre-snap penalties uh, were an issue. Um, obviously, the unsportsmanlike conduct after the block punt, uh, you know, roughing the punter, uh, which in turn they end up scoring on that drive. So those were those were issues in the game. Um, you know, three red zone trips for us to to only come out of those those three trips with three points. Uh, quite frankly, is probably the the biggest deciding factor in the game. Uh, you know, because you know our ability to move the ball wasn't in question, but our ability to, to put the ball in the end zone was. Um, and then conversely, they have six trips into the red area and they score 34 points. Uh, so if you just look at it that way and do the math, um, that that was an issue. Um, obviously, the end of the half and end of the game defense, you know, our inability to get stops there uh, were, were issues in the game. You know, five sacks uh, that came a variety of ways, you know, putting us behind the chains offensively were, were hurt. Uh, and then conversely, not having very good rush lanes on our end to allow uh, their quarterback to move in the pocket, move up in the pocket, keep his vision was a factor as well. That's the whole show. Yeah. You're done. We're done. Like, like, uh, and one of those pre-snap penalties was on a fourth and three when they were going to go for it. Yeah. Uh, and then it moves it to fourth and eight. They got to kick a field goal, and now it's only twenty-seven to twenty. Uh, Oklahoma's, you know, on top, and then Texas goes and scores ten straight. You know, and makes it a three-point game. And so, uh, you know, they only have themselves to blame. And we've talked about it for eight months since we started the show. Texas is going to beat Texas. Like that's the only way Texas is losing in the regular season in the Big Twelve title game. They played their worst game against maybe their best opponent. That Oklahoma team's good. They're too good to commit all the things Sark just talked about and walk away with a win. Yeah, 34-3 to three in the red zone. Uh, all the critical penalties. The running into the punter penalty was critical. Uh, it was just, but to be with the lead with a minute 17 to go tells you just how good this team can be. And you're right, you can't play your A game every time. Uh, we can talk about the reasons for that. Uh, again, I thought the, the Oklahoma Sooners were the more desperate team, had the easier schedule. And it's it's quite possible in hindsight that the Longhorns, you know, not playing a, a pass-based offense before now hurt them, right? Their schedule 
it was rigorous, right? Alabama hasn't lost except to Texas. Neither is Kansas. Neither is Wyoming. All those teams only lost on the year is to the Longhorns. So those are quality opponents, but they're all run-based teams. They're all want to run it, then play action and that kind of stuff. And they face, they face three backup quarterbacks along the way. And Jalen Milrow still getting seasoned into the year. Uh, so now you face a sixth-year senior who's played in that system his whole life. And Dylan Gabriel played the game. You know, He, he made Texas prove that they could tackle on the perimeter. They couldn't. That they could uh, cover. You know, for, for if the Longhorns aren't getting the pressure, they used his legs to slow down the pass rush, and all that was key. But Sark just mentioned, let's hear from Sark on the red zone offense. Uh, if there's one conversation in Austin and in Longhorn Nation today, it's about you know the red zone, what went wrong. I'll give Oklahoma credit. The two that those two turnovers they forced. I mean, Quinn made a bad throw on the on the slant route, but as our buddy Rod Babers pointed out on film study, it's the exact same play they started the Alabama game with. Uh, the exact play, the exact formation, double slants right side with the trips left. Um, you know, Oklahoma scouted that. And if you watch the corner, he never bit. I mean, there, there was nothing off of that. He, he, you know, normally a corner would be pressing back when you got doubles guy. He didn't. They read that play. Quinn still threw it because I'm sure Sark has drilled down on him. Don't wait for it. Throw it. You got to throw it. He's going to be open. Well, kind of like in the Super Bowl with the Patriots and the, uh, and the uh, Seattle Seahawks. Great film study. Nine jumped the route. Pick. And then in the red zone, you know, Sark, uh, you know, Quinn tried to throw one to, to J.T. Sanders and Peyton Bowen, five-star player, big hit. You know, dislodges dislodges the ball. They forced both of those turnovers in my mind. T- t- Texas kind of played into it, so I got to give some Oklahoma's credit for some of that. It wasn't all unforced errors for Texas, but uh, they had their own share of unforced errors, including in the red zone. Let's hear Sark on the red zone troubles they had on Saturday. I think the first first aspect of it is, you know, we've already watched every series and every snap we've had all year in the red zone. Uh, we watched it in sequence of how it actually has occurred in game. We watched it by concept, the different concepts that we're running. Uh, and then ultimately it's, okay, what are we doing to make sure that we're putting our players in the best position to be successful? Um, sometimes a, a, a new style of scheme is in their best interest predicated on what we're getting. Sometimes it's doing what they know really well so that they have answers to the whatever look they could get from a defensive perspective. So there's a lot of levels to that. Then it's looking at the play caller and the sequencing of how I'm calling those plays. Uh, but we're drilling down on it to every level. That's what the bye week is, is really good for. You have more time to do that type of stuff. Um, and I'm, I feel very comfortable in the fact that we'll have a, we'll have a good plan in the second half of the season for the players. Um, because like I just told the staff, we're moving the ball too well offensively right now not to have more points on the board. And so we need to be, we need to be more effective in the red area for sure. Not a new problem for Texas. Uh, they're, they're in the 115th percentile of uh, – like 115th in the nation in red zone offense right now. Yeah, they're 122nd in touchdown conversion percentage. Uh, good. 11 touchdowns and 20 trips. And so it wasn't just the one for three. They've just been much better than the other teams where it hasn't mattered. Uh, and so, you know, you were going to get into a close game and you combine the turnovers, you kind of combine the red zone, you combine the two minute offense stuff. You know, coaches talk about the middle eight a lot. Oklahoma had a, a two minute drive at the end of the first half. They got a field goal. They had a two minute drive at the end of the fourth quarter uh, where they got a touchdown. That's 10 points right there. Plus the the points off of turnovers. That's half of Oklahoma's points just just off of that stuff alone. And so, you know, for 56 minutes, I thought this defense played pretty well. Sands two drives and Oklahoma's going to have a couple drives. You're not going to shut out a team. Uh, two years in a row with their starting quarterback. But they were just put on the field for so so often, put on the field uh, so many times, and the offense just didn't capitalize when they needed to. 
Yeah, that's well said, too. I just uh, will hear Sark talk about the four tries from the one-yard line, which is the conversation around Austin today. How do you not punch it in from a yard out uh, with your heavy package? Sark will take some blame on that. Uh, but, it, you know, you said it to start. I mean, I've been to about 25 Red River games now or, or covered. You've been to a bunch your whole life. It comes down to the rushing yards, to the turnovers, and also think it comes down to injuries, key injuries. Uh, you know what this game reminded me of, Mike, in just in reversal of roles, was 2008. When, when Texas won 45-35, to 35, Texas came in as the underdog. Oklahoma was number one in the country that year. And Colt McCoy, Jordan Shipley, and Quan Kyle, Colt McCoy was complete like 80% of his passes in that game. Yet Oklahoma was like, oh, we got this. For you know, this is Dylan Gabriel. He's over 75% of his passes. This guy's really good. And he's got a good set of receivers. I don't care who you're playing. If you complete almost 80% of your balls, 8 out of 10, you're pretty good. And, you know, the, the roles reversed. And then if you remember that game, who was the run, the receiver uh, the linebacker Ryan Reynolds I believe was the linebacker for Oklahoma middle linebacker number eight got hurt in that game early on and that's when Oklahoma and Texas started moving Jordan Shipley into the flex linebacker spot and they had nobody that could cover him or, or flex tight end spot and they had nobody to cover him and Jordan Shipley went for a huge game Texas I, in this game my pick for de- defensive player of the game was uh, Jalen Catalan he got hurt early in the game before he got hurt he had three tackles he was flying all over the the field i thought that was critical ryan watts didn't play in the game and then jake majors your starting center got hurt to start the game and your backup center is cole hudson and he's already hurt so now you're doing your third string freshman center who I don't think was ready to play. And he, he hurt Texas in this game. Not an excuse, because this is all gas, no excuses season, but those are factors to the football game that impacted why Texas lost this football game. Yeah, and when you when you watch that game again, you see how much of an advantage they had across from the center. Yes. Um, that sack on the – we'll talk about that field goal decision at, at the end of the game yeah. for Texas' side. But on first and 10, they give up a sack to go to second and 13. That came straight from the nose tackle. Uh, not being able to run the ball across the middle of the field on the on first down, on second down, on third down, on the goal, on the fr- that you're helped by having your best center on on the field, right? And so, um, not having Jake out there, I think, was huge to, to not only just to establish the line of scrimmage, but that's your quarterback of your offensive line. That does so much in terms of like who's getting into right spots and making those calls. Who knows what kind of miscommunication was going on down there during those kind of red zone situations. Well, in the early update on on that injury is a high ankle sprain. They hope he's back for Houston, if not quite beyond that. We'll talk about the Longhorns into the future. they got six games to go. Uh, their opponents the rest of the way are about 500. So uh, there is an opportunity to run the table, but you got to get healthy. Uh, Ryan Watts will be held out this week um, You know, with the bye. They hope he's back by the Houston game. Cole Hudson could be back by the Houston game as well. Uh, didn't hear an update on Jalen Catalan, though. That was a weird, tweaky knee injury that he suffered. It's kind of the end roll, you know, jumping over a pile and kind of landing awkwardly. Hope the best for him because I thought he was off to a great start. And I thought that was critical late in the game when mm-hmm. they needed one of those stops and Catalan wasn't out there. Hey, let's uh, hear Sark on the four tries from the one. They went to the jumbo package. Tavondre Sweat was on the field with Byron Murphy. They went, you know, a ton, two tons of uh, beef, but still couldn't move Oklahoma. Credit to them. But here's Sark on. Uh, and this is Kirk Bowles of the Austin American Statesman asking Sark about uh, the four tries from the one-yard line. That uh, sucked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, no, I don't think it was toughness at all. Um, you know, the, the, the first down play, you know, their, their kid makes a, a really nice play. He kind of shoots the gap and, and gets into to Jonathan Brooks's legs. Uh, the second down call, um, that was the sequencing of those two calls that I knew I was going to go with there. Um, and it, the edge just, we just don't get enough of the edge and we get the ball down to the one again. Quite frankly, if I could do it all over again, I would have changed the third down call. Um, I might have ran what I ran on fourth down, on third down. 
um, which I don't know if that's creative enough or not, but I probably would have done that on third down and then gone to something a little bit different on fourth down. So, uh, you know, I don't call it stubborn, whatever it was. You know, I went back to the first down call on third down and, and obviously not effective enough. And I'd love for us to execute it a little bit better than we did, but um, that's, that's the way it goes sometimes, you know. And so, um, but yeah, it sucked. <laughs> it sucked. That's what Longhorn fans are thinking. Now, Texas did, you know, on the other part of that, complimentary football. Here's what I think about this game, Mike, in addition to everything we've already said. Texas was uncharacteristically sloppy. And Oklahoma was in character. Uh, they lead the nation in turnovers, or the Big 12 in turnovers, and they forced three more. Uh, they came into the game with 10 interceptions. So they're an attacking ball-hawking defense that Brett Venables has coached up. Their quarterback played great, uh, and they played a hell of a game. Texas played out of character. Uh, even to, to this point, they can't even push a yard. I mean, you should be able, with that package, to get a yard. But the center injury, Oklahoma you know, shooting the gaps and, and doing a great job, uh, that's, that's just how this game plays. And then the Longhorns were out of character in this game. Uh, but what was super frustrating is you took a lead. Let's talk about this final sequence because the other, in addition to four shots from the one, the, the red zone issues, the other big conversation in Austin today and around Longhorn Nation is clock management. Also, I just first of all, good on Sark for talking about that. Oh, yeah. And that open of a way, right? I mean, I think most, most coaches a lot of times, especially after a loss, just kind of give you the stock answer and move on. I think he told the truth there. I think he got stubborn on third down, right? I mean, you recruit all these big humans he's talked about. You're trying to you're trying to like instill this toughness and this SEC, and we're, we're a big offensive line, and we're going to run over guys. Well, on third down and goal from the one-yard line, you should be able to punch it in. And I think he wanted to send that message to his team. Uh, I think that was a cool admission that, that he kind of like gave us a little peek into his – his psyche there, because I think most of the time he probably does pass that on third down, right? But I think he did want to kind of send a message to his team that we can be kind of the bullies of this game. Let's go get this yard. Yeah, and that was where I was going to put me back on track to that because the Longhorns have been a very complimentary football team this year in their 4-0 start, rising to number three in the country. That one complimentary football, if you do get stopped at the one, your defense has to hold them back. They allowed them to come off the line of scrimmage with an easy run on first down. Jaron Thompson missed another. That's some Longhorns missed a million tackles on Saturday. On Saturday, uh, tackles they need to make. Uh, you know, so they came off the line again. They gained 12 yards on first down, and they ended up missing a field goal, which ended up being pretty critical to the game. But they drove the ball across midfield. That's not good complimentary football. If you're going to go for it, you got to trust that your defense could make something happen. Uh, instead, they they went the other way. But again, with all that said, to be with the ball with 4:49 to go down in a tie game to go win this game is really all you could have asked for. And it felt like for most of that final Longhorn drive that they were going to do that. They were moving the ball. Uh, Oklahoma looked tired. I mean, finally that Longhorn depth and big humans had kind of worn them down. Uh, they weren't getting set uh, at the snap of the football a lot on the defensive line. And the Longhorns moved it across midfield. Xavier Worthy catches a pass uh, down at the 35-yard line into field goal range with under two minutes to play. And you're thinking, okay, they're going to – well, it's right over two minutes to play at that point. Mm. This is where the clock management comes. Once you cross midfield, I, I agree with not – you know, I think you go fast. I think Because if you punt the ball, you give Oklahoma time. You want to move, get your offense in tempo, take advantage of a tired team. But once you cross the midfield stripe, now you can start thinking about using the clock and not ever giving the ball back to Oklahoma. And that was absolutely the plan. But you said it a minute ago that when you – that right after that Xavier Worthy play down to the uh, 35-yard line – they run what what is an RPO. So Quinn Ewers has the uh, the option to hand it into the belly of to uh, Jonathan Brooks or to pull it out the run pass option. And he took the pass option because he liked what he saw 
from the coverage, and that's where the center, Connor Robertson, gets beat by the nose guard. It's a four-yard sack, and now now you're back to the 39-yard line, and Sark's thinking about, oh, gosh, i got to stay in field goal range, Mike. In addition to clock management, and now can I get another first down and we never give the ball back to Oklahoma, now staying in field goal range becomes imperative. Yeah, I mean, first and 10, you go sack, and now you're second and 13, and you're not in field goal range. And you throw a, a quick pass out to uh, Xavier Worthy, who looked like he was going to have a big play, kind of gets tripped up, loses his balance, falls down. So here's where it gets, to me, this is where it gets interesting. It's third and nine. You're three or four yards out of, out of uh, field goal range. Oklahoma calls a timeout. If you're Sark, you have a few options here, right? You can go for the first down on third and nine. But if it's an incomplete pass or you get sacked again or something doesn't go right, now your decision is punting. Yeah. Like now you got to punt the ball, so you don't even have the lead. So I think on third down you almost have to call the run play or a very you know quick kind of the same thing you ran on second down to to, to Xavier, right? Uh, and so then you give the ball to Jonathan Brooks. He gets six yards. OU calls their final timeout. So now you're at fourth and four. What do you do there? You're right. back in field goal range. You're now. back in field goal range. It's fourth and four. I mean, do you go for it? Because like, if you go, for, I, I think just like looking on Twitter and what people's reactions are, and in hindsight, a lot of people want them want you to go for it. But I think you have to take the lead. You have to trust your defense. Yeah, that it's was... easy to look back and think about how bad the defense played, quote unquote. Uh, but they hadn't given up a, a score since very, the first drive of the third quarter. They had shut down Oklahoma since then. And so I think if your option is, like, if you had been in field goal position on third down, I think Sark gets aggressive. But since he wasn't in field goal position on third down, he has to use that play to get into field goal position. And then once OU calls their timeout, you got to go up three with them no timeouts. Your defense has been your best unit uh, of the season. I don't, I don't blame him for trusting those guys. Agreed, 100%. You and I are thinking, I was, and again, I do the in-game watch uh, on Inside Texas. They're on Texas Football Channel, kind of the Manning cast. And that was our conversation uh, right then. Uh, you, 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 that sack was critical. You can't even, uh, you know, uh, uh, because, you know, in hindsight, and everything's 2020 hindsight uh, the day after, the Monday after. But, you know, maybe maybe Quinn should have just put it in the belly of Cedric Baxter and run the ball there. Yeah, you got to get um, to second and six, get into field goal position, and then you have two plays to go get fun. But let's say this, and we'll talk about it in our second quarter coming up, what was good. After the rough start, Quinn Ewers went 24 of his next 25 passes. He was on a heater. So that's the argument for those who say go for it. But you're right. That's that's 2020 hindsight, uh, Monday morning quarterback stuff. Because if he doesn't get it or he takes another sack and Connor Robertson gets beat again, now now you're punting. And you're madder as a fan than you would have been mm-hmm. because of that management. They took the lead. But it does remind you a little bit of the Alabama game last year where Burt Auburn has a chance to be a hero. But your defense could not stop. Let's hear Sark on the defensive breakdowns. Uh, we'll talk about that coaching strategy because the Longhorns started um, they gave up you know a pretty good kick return out to the 35 yard line and I, you know it's one thing to play a prevent defense Mike but it's another thing if you got you're playing pre- prevent you should have eight guys in coverage well they didn't cover anybody I mean Oklahoma went 55 yards in three plays and it didn't look like anybody was around the receivers it's like well you're playing coverage who's covering anyone um, and we'll talk about that, but let's hear Sark on the defensive breakdowns because my argument would be this, Mike, that, it, that once you gave up 55 yards on three plays and a longer kickoff return than you wanted, um, now you're at the 20-yard line. You've conceded the field goal. For me, I'm calling a timeout there if I'm Sark. i got timeouts in my pocket that I'm not going to use now. Uh, now it's about getting this game to overtime. This is about my timeout. PK, let's get on the headset. Let's figure this out because we're, that was not good. Uh, we did not. We didn't do anything right. We didn't tackle them in bounds. We didn't cover people. And you'll hear Sark's explanation of what he saw on film here in a second. 
But do you call a timeout? I mean, we do it in basketball. Where, hey, timeout, guys. This thing's getting out of hand here. We're about to lose this game. The worst we want to get out of here with is an overtime at uh, you know 30-all, and we'll be good with that. But, you know, didn't call the timeout. Then there's pass interference call. Then there's, you know, one Dylan Gabriel scramble run. And then the touchdown, which is a defensive breakdown. Let's hear Sark on what he saw in the film. Then I want your thoughts, Mike. The first one was kind of a, a missed tackle there on the sidelines where it would have been great to – Wrap the wrap the receiver up and keep him in bounds to keep to keep the clock rolling. We 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 let him get out of bounds. The second one was, you know, miscommunication uh, in the back end where, um, you know, our two safeties are playing one coverage and everybody else is playing another coverage. And in turn, uh, the the same common theme defensively reared its ugly head. We didn't have very good pass rush lanes, uh, and Gabriel was able to really step up in the pocket and give the illusion that he was going to run. And then that forced uh, Jalen Ford to have to try to come up, and then he finds Stoops in behind him for about a 30-yard gain right there. What, but in reality, it all started with we weren't on the same page from a coverage standpoint. So um, those were the first two. Naturally, hey, the pass interference is pass interference. We could argue it was or it wasn't. Uh, but then in the end, you know, they're scrambling a little bit. There's 15 seconds on the clock. We felt like we had a great call and, and we didn't execute it. So that, that part was probably the most disappointing thing, but that was a little bit of a common theme overall that if you looked at offense, you looked at special teams, you looked at defense, at different aspects of the game, we didn't execute some things that were, I don't want to call them simple, but things that we've been running now for almost two and a half months. And so uh, I'd like to think that we could operate better than that. And so we've got to, we've got to get back to uh, executing at a level that is the standard around here. All right, some pretty pointed words there. And you can tell Sark's frustrated with PK and the team that they gave it up. And if you go back and watch that touchdown pass, one of the things you note, uh, and he talked about it today a little bit, Steve Sarkeesian, in addition to the blown coverage where David Benda and Justin Jaron Thompson didn't communicate, uh, Derek Williams, this freshman safety, handed off the coverage because the runner, you know, the receiver was coming in motion. So you got to check to that. You know, David Benda never looked over. No, I mean, you couldn't hear anything. They're in the Oklahoma end. It's very loud, um, and he never looked. He never looked for the check. That's a senior linebacker who we've talked about. You know, he's got to see that. Uh, he didn't. They blew the coverage. Um, you know. In addition, though, that that was a play. Even without the timeout, I mentioned Mike. They did bring a blitz, and the same the same two guys went into the same rush lane, which gave the the left tackle for Oklahoma a chance to block two guys by himself. And if that gets home. They have no timeouts. They're having to rush their field goal unit on the field. And it's one of those really frustrating Longhorn things. You heard Sark talking about it. We need to be able to execute that. We know. Why, what are you guys taking the same gap for? We were calling up a pressure, and, and it looked like you had enough time to get to him. If it would have come free, instead the left tackle got to block two guys, and a guy broke open. That's frustrating to not execute as well as you should have in, in critical, critical situations. Yeah, there's a true true freshman safety in, in the uh, communication issue there between him and Binda, and then there's a true true freshman in those rush lanes that you're talking about. That's Anthony Hill yeah. that, that's occupying that, that second lane. And so, I mean, I'm not privy to the play call, so I don't know who's in the wrong lane, who's in the right lane. Uh, but that's what you get when you get youth on the field sometimes in, in big moments where it's really loud and things are happening a 1,000 miles per hour. It just takes one breakdown in communication. You could tell Oklahoma's game plan, though, was let's isolate those Texas safeties and coverage and let's figure out if the linebackers can be disciplined enough to stay with Dylan Gabriel. And Texas consistently wasn't able to do both of those when, oh, you really got into tempo. That's when Texas really struggled. Yeah, and I do think not facing an offense of that caliber 
to this point hurt Texas. We did talk about Oklahoma not facing a high-caliber opponent, but Alabama's a different animal. That, that kind of fits what Texas wants to be. Sark's very familiar with that team and that coach. Um, this one, they, they needed – it might have been better for Texas' big picture if Jalen Daniels had played for Kansas, right, to, last week, just to see a high-level quarterback, uh, you know, face a quarterback that can expose some things that you can go to work on. Because now they can go to work on it, but it's after a loss. They played three straight backup quarterbacks, four run-based teams, and then they faced a pass-first offense and you know, with really good athletes and a really good quarterback. And, you know, they had the lead with 17 or 12 seconds to go, uh, but they couldn't close it because of the mistakes we just heard. I do think it's easy. Like, I, I don't know how much we're playing the blame game here, um, but I know it's. E- I think it's easy to say that the defense lost that game because they were the last unit on the field. Uh, but I think the defense played better than the offense if we're if we're judging the whole 60 minutes. To me, this game was lost when they allowed OU to believe that they could play in it by throwing interception, interception in the first two drives, going 0 for 3 beyond the line of scrimmage in the first quarter, and not really doing anything offensively. I mean, it was the punt block return for a touchdown. It's the only thing that they really did uh, from a point standpoint early in that game. And then that game gets weird. Like, any time we've ever seen an upset happen, it's because the favorite you know, screws around for the first quarter or two, and that belief builds on half the side of the stadium, and then it just becomes a game of momentum. That That's kind of what a rivalry is. And so like, I, I thought the defense played decently if you take away the two-minute drill stuff. It just felt like the offense left them out to dry uh, so often that it was a closer game than it had I to be. I don't think it's blame game. I think it's analyzing, but I think you're right. But I did, would say the defense at the end of each half kind of let in, let yeah. down. And on that goal line situation, they didn't step in. So they, they could have been better too. But you're right. I and mean, this was a full team I won't say collapse, but as a full team failure, they lost the game. Uh, but they also showed a lot to like, and we'll talk about that coming up in our second quarter. Uh, you know what went right for Texas: the toughness, the grit, Quinn's response to a bad start, uh, how to get it fixed. All things we'll talk about in our second quarter. First, though, I want to talk about Brain Vault and the Brain Vault technology, revolutionary mouth guard that has been proven scientifically reduce the risk of concussions. You heard me right. Reduce the risk of concussions. Brain's Vault patented technology based on the proven science. Brain Vault has used their technology. Our friend Dr. Greg Eckert the, uh, gave me this great smile. We'll tell you about that later. But uh, they used that technology in the past eight years with roughly 100 NFL players. No concussions reported among those players. Brain Vault has now taken that technology used in the NFL and developed a retail version of the orthotic. So now your athlete can be fitted and have the exact same level of protection that NFL players have and experience. It's research-based. It's it's scientifically proven that uh, you know putting your your neck muscles and your jawline in the correct position at that moment of contact reduces the concussive forces. Having those strengthened neck muscles properly uh, and the the opposite of that, the alternative of that is bad. Is is what leads to a lot of concussions. This is what it's about with Brain Vault. So now your young athlete can have that level of protection. All you have to do is go to BrainVault.com. That's BrainVault.com to learn more about the next level of protection. Have your young athlete or your entire team, if you're a high school football coach, pop, you know, Pop Warner, junior high, uh, you know, cheerleading teams, including the University of Texas, are, are being fitted for the BrainVault technology because it's just safer. You can play hard, play to have fun, but also play safe with BrainVault.com. Join the movement today. All right, Mike, second quarter, delivered by the Good Times, an incredible scratch, comfort food at Hayes City Store, an ice house, absolute destination location in Driftwood, Texas. Spent some time there on Sunday watching some football and uh, enjoying uh, watching games and uh, just the great weather as the temperature has cooled off. All right, uh, Mike, second quarter, what went right for Texas? 34 to 30, it's a long season, uh, lots to still play for. Let's hear Sark, we heard his overview of what went wrong to start the uh, first quarter. Here's what went right. Sometimes when, when you lose, it's easy to, to look at what went wrong. I think there was a lot of things that went right. 
Uh, obviously, that the fake punt was was a great play for us. That that swung some momentum. Uh, the block punt for a touchdown. Those are those are huge plays. And Bert Auburn, uh, what a kick! You know, 47-yard field goal with with a, just over a minute to go. I think getting him back into his fold of what he's capable of being, um, that's going to be big for us in the second half of the season. Uh, I will stand on. I loved our competitiveness. I loved our resiliency, our grit, our toughness, uh, our fight, even when we weren't at our best uh, Saturday. And we, and we weren't. And we just didn't execute um, the way we're capable of executing all the way down to the touchdown on the last play. You know, we have a pressure called. Um, you know, we don't cover we don't cover it right. We don't execute the pressure right. We have two guys running in the same gap, and one guy can block two, and it allows the quarterback to hold the ball uh, to throw the touchdown. So, um, I think that the biggest thing that comes out of this for me is, you know, with um, with all that being said, we had a great opportunity to win the game with all the things that I just talked about. Um, and if that's our worst, we're going to be okay. All right, we, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll fix the things that need to get fixed uh, as a coaching staff and as a team uh, this week during the bye week. Uh, and, and we'll play good football the second half of the season. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to watching our coaches and our leadership really step up this week and then as we head into the second half of the season. All right, Mike, um, you know, the, the, the grit take the lead, come all the way back, weather the uh, storm. And I thought to tip the cap to Sark that he's understanding how to, p to coach in this game. You've seen it a million times, Mike, in your life, but I've seen it double-digit times now, double, you know, two decades worth. As a coach, you can't let the momentum get away from you. you got to fight back to get it in that building and in that game. It's unlike any other. And I do think the fake punt and the going forward on fourth down and the thing when, when things weren't going well that he did – Shows you, you know, this wasn't going to be a Mac Brown circa 2001 blowout game, which it could have been when things were, were spiraling the wrong way and Quinn Ewers throws picks on his two first drives. Sark got that back, right? He did it by changing momentum himself. Didn't all work out, but I think that's credit to Sark and this staff that all, they have some mistakes to clean up, but they learned that, hey, we got we to gotta keep the momentum in this game or at least take it back when you can. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of it felt like the Texas-Alabama game, but in reverse. You know where where Alabama didn't feel like they ever got out of out of the gates, and Texas was dominating that game. And then you look down in the third quarter, and Alabama had taken the lead. Uh, and, and Texas kind of did the same thing, where you could they weren't firing on all on all cylinders. The two interceptions, turnover on downs, the, the penalties that Sark talked about. Then all of a sudden, you look down in the fourth quarter, and Texas winning that football game. And so uh, I th I think that there can be two truths here. You're disappointed that they made all of those mistakes, and and that you let. Uh, Oklahoma win a football game that you feel like you probably should have won. Uh, but conversely to that, you watch the tape and you go, man, guys, we couldn't have played worse, and they couldn't have played better. And we were in control. We we were winning that football game with a minute and 11 left. Uh, that's good. Like, we're we're okay. We're, we can go win all of these football games. And so I don't think it's like the sky is falling, like existential crisis that we've had as Texas fans coming out of the Red River before. Where it's like, holy crap, how did they, they get beat by 30, you know? Um, and so the ability to stay in that football game, to fight back multiple times, to have a chance to win, and to be able to point out all those mistakes, I think is something that's going to drive this football team. Even if it's frustrating for football fans, as football players, you just got to get back in the lab and go to work. Well, And also on what is good, we didn't mention off the top, but the Longhorns are still in the top 10. They're the highest ranked one-loss team right now at number nine in the, in the countdown. Uh, and when you look at it, they're ahead of an undefeated USC team right now. I mean, the, the voters have Texas ahead of the Trojans because of the 
you know, the, the Alabama win still is credit to them. And USC survived in three overtimes with Arizona and a freshman backup quarterback for Arizona on Saturday. So probably rightful that they're behind Texas. Uh, but, you know, your goals are still ahead of you. Uh, we'll talk about that coming up in the bye week in the future. But, all right, Mike, the other part that uh, Sark said there I think is interesting is, uh, you know, if that's our worst, we're okay. If that's our worst, we're fine. Uh, and that's what the Lightning Longhorn fans can hang their hats on, that, okay, this thing's not over. Uh, and, yeah, if that's the worst game you play this year, you're going to be okay, and you'll be back playing that team most likely again. Yeah, because that's the best team on the schedule, and you almost beat them with your C-plus game. Yeah. You know, and so that, that should give you confidence going forward, even if it's frustrating. Let's hear Sark on uh, the other good was Quinn, Quinn Ewers, who we see in a young guy grow up uh, in front of our eyes, uh, the rough start, two picks, you know, one, a, you know, kind of forced the ball into a slant route. Uh, but I believe he was told to throw the ball. He didn't think Oklahoma would read it as well as they did. Credit to Oklahoma as well, as we said. But then, you know, the pick with JT Sanders from the 10-yard line was a killer. Took points off the board. But then from there, man, he was all world. He was 24 of 25. He ended up with 350 passing yards. Uh, he and Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington had his best game. 10 catches. And this is the depth of this Texas team. Last week was A.D. Mitchell, Mike, who had the big game. This is how our give Sark some credit. He threw a curveball. I mean, you got to break tendency. I don't think Oklahoma spent the week thinking about Jordan Whittington. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, Jordan Whittington has a 10-catch, 115-yard game. That's the depth of this team, and they could use him in that spot. They also had, you know, Jordan also had that fake punt. Uh, but I want your thoughts on that. But also, here's Sark talking about Quinn uh, and maturing to be able to weather that and come back and play a great second, third, and fourth quarter. Yeah, for any quarterback, you throw two picks, your first two drives that you're on the field, that that can that can rattle that can rattle you pretty good, um, and the response that he showed to at one point I think complete 19 passes in a row in that game, um, I thought was was really tremendous under some duress. You know he was the sacks he had a fumble in there he got hit pretty good scrambling, uh, but I thought the poise and composure he showed um, was was indicative of a guy who's growing in confidence, who's maturing, uh, and definitely a guy that I know we're, uh, we can count on at a high level here the second half of the season. Yeah, big-time performance after the rough start. Yeah, Quinn Ewers' two best pass grades, according to PFF, are against Alabama and Oklahoma. Like He's a big-game player. Like He is somebody who steps up in these football games. I think the thing I liked most about Quinn, I don't know how many people caught it, but after that Jonathan Brooks touchdown, he showed more emotion than I think I've ever seen Quinn Ewers show after a play. Like, that dude was jacked up. Like He was throwing his arms around and flexing and uh, celebrating, and that's what you want in your quarterback. Like In my lifetime, that's all I can judge by. Uh, Texas has been best when their quarterback's been their leader, uh, and he's starting to become a guy who's leading as well as he's playing. He's always had the talent, and, and now he's starting to, to kind of do the off-the-field stuff, leading stuff, being an emotional leader, getting excited, showing some of that, because sometimes you need to see it. And so... I think Texas is fine at quarterback, obviously, and I think they're fine as a football team. All right. Uh, it's one thing to present the problems, and we talked about them, but in what went right here in our second quarter, how to get them fixed is an important part of that. Uh, red zone, turnovers, penalties, how do you get these tackling? How do you get them fixed? Sark was asked that today, and here's his answer, how they're going to use the bye week and their senior leadership to get issues resolved. Overriding message is, hey, Everything we want out of the season is still right in front of us right now. Um, we got to go handle our business. And uh, the first order of business is having a really good bye week. Like I said, getting healthy, uh, addressing the issues that need to be addressed. And, you know, it's a simple adage that I talked to the team about today, but 
Um, I think this week is important of any is, you know, learn from yesterday, focus on today, prepare for tomorrow. So we got to learn from, from the loss Saturday, and there's plenty to take from that game uh, to learn from. We got to focus on this week on the things that we need to do, and that'll help prepare us for the second half of the season that, uh, that I think we'll go out and play good football and, and, you know, see where it all lays out at the end. We'll talk more about that bye week coming up and how they're going to plan it out and uh, strategies to improve. But, Mike, the uh, – the remaining schedule has six teams who are 18 and 15. Um, a lot of three and threes in there. The best team left is BYU, um, four and one. And, you know, they lost to Kansas, who Texas beat. So it's a manageable schedule, to say the least. They'll play Houston in two weeks. Houston is a three and three football team who you've seen live. They don't match up with Texas they very well. They lost to Rice. They lost to Rice. <laughs> they don't match up very well. Uh, the home games kind of feel like be careful with K-State, but K-State just lost at home to uh, – at Stillwater at Oklahoma State, mm-hmm. I don't know how to figure the Big 12. I know Texas and Oklahoma are pretty damn good. We saw them just put on a, a heck of a game on, on Saturday. The rest of this conference looks pretty bad. Yeah, they stink. <laughs> um, and, and I think you know Texas is going to be double-digit favorites probably the rest of the way out. Maybe that Kansas State gains a single digit, just depending on what we think of Kansas State in a couple weeks. But this is going to be a – this is Texas versus Texas. You know, It's been that for most of, of the year. Um, but unless they, you know, play really poorly, unless they turn the ball over a bunch of times, unless that defense just really, you know, craters and I, you're gonna that defensive line's too good, right? Like o- Oklahoma may have the only group of humans that can really line up on the football field and deal with the physicality and the athleticism, just the talent for talent stuff. Oklahoma's still a very talented roster. Uh, there's not anybody else that's as big or fast as tough as, as Texas is, and so this is going to come down to getting better in the red zone, getting better on turnovers, tackling people in space. If they can do all those three things, Texas is 11 and one and playing Oklahoma again in Arlington. Yeah, yeah. blocking and tackling. What do you know? Yeah. Uh, I do think sometimes you got to get punched in the mouth with it, and I do think again, as we said at the start of the Eyes on Texas multicast here, presented by Grande Equipment. Now, you know, Dylan Gabriel, they presented a new package, which Texas hadn't seen, and now they can go work on that. And the running quarterback probably hurt Texas as they didn't face a, a more dynamic quarterback to this point. But, you know, that's why you play the entirety of the season. One other from Sark, I think it's good stuff, red meat for Longhorn fans, that, you know, the goal wasn't to be perfect and undefeated. The goal was win the Big 12 championship. That is still possible. Here's Sark. Well, I think it's helpful. You know, we went into this season with the goal to be champions. And... Those goals still remain um, because they're reality, right? Uh, I think now more than ever, like, there's no divisions in the Big 12. The, the, the two best teams get to go play for a championship, and we control that uh, with what we do and how we play. Um, naturally, nobody likes to lose a game, but we got to go handle our business, and we're more than capable of doing that. And so we do talk about big picture, especially during a bye week, so that they can understand the lay of the land. And then we drill back down into what's of importance right now and what do we need to do to, to make sure that we put ourselves in that position down the road. All right, championship's still there. Now, I will present the fact that West Virginia is a sneaky 2-0 team. They're the, they in Oklahoma, the 2-0 team. So let's not break out the Big 12 tiebreaker scenarios just yet. But uh, keep an eye on that. You need West Virginia to take a loss. You can win out. And if West Virginia wins out, West Virginia and Oklahoma will play in the rematch. That you know, I don't know if Neil Brown's team can do that. But because West Virginia, Texas doesn't play West Virginia, so they can't handle that business. Oklahoma does, uh, November 11th in Norman. If West Virginia were to win that game and win out, they'd get the tiebreaker and Texas would be out. So that is a scenario you need to at least put in your hat, but a lot of football in the next two months. 
That'd be interesting, right? Like, what is an eleven and one Texas team viewed as uh, by the college if football they don't play? playoff? Especially if like West Virginia was to beat Oklahoma twice or something like that, and, and beat them again in the Big Twelve championship, or however that worked out, that would be a fun theory. I don't know. I, don't, I have not seen West Virginia. I saw them play Penn State week one, and they got beat, and they've yeah. won four in a row. They can play some defense. They, they're they're pretty good defensively. They haven't they haven't beat themselves, obviously. I, they're not explosive offensively, but I, I watched the the TCU and Tech games on like the the replays and. Uh, kind of a, a feisty team that I don't know if people are overlooking them, but they're definitely overlooking them. You know, it just seems that way, right? And so, well, like, and, nobody's and, played a good game against them. Well, this will be a good weekend for Longhorn fans to watch them because West Virginia had a bye last week, and they're going to play Houston yeah. this weekend uh, ahead of Texas. So you'll get to see them. They'll play down in Houston. Uh, so you get to see West Virginia, and you'll get to see the opponent. Next the Thursday Longhorns. night. Is it next Thursday night? Yeah, I think it's Or this Thursday? Thursday? Yeah, I think it's Thursday. All right, there you go. So you get that this Thursday night, according to Mike Craven, down at the uh, – uh, the stadium so good for te- oh, Houston by the way gets a bye week ahead of that and they get extra time to get ready for Texas after that game so of note of course we'll have our full coverage of the Houston game next week on our eyes on Texas multicast that's the second quarter delivered by the incredible delivered by the incredible scratch food and the amazing times at Hayes City Store an ice house in Driftwood, Texas. They're ready to serve you and your family every day of the week. Music uh, six nights a week on the big stage under the canopy of oak trees. Uh, my favorite spot's out in the ice house where we sit to try to sit at the bar near the bar, be able to watch all the games. Got baseball going on, college and pro football. Uh, they got 53 beers on tap. Amazing bar. Um, they're great. If you like margaritas, have great margaritas with like little four margarita flights. You can try diff- four different frozens, and people love those. I'm not a big tequila person, but uh, they love it out there. Uh, it's everything. You can inside as well but now that it's cooled off you want to be outside it is perfect weather for the Hayes City store and ice house sit on the picnic table sit on the turf your kids will love it too with the live music famous for their scratch made comfort food including wood fryer pizzas house ground burgers the chicken fried steak truck stop enchiladas and money money more check out that full mouthwatering menu online at HayesCityStoreTX.com that's HayesCityStoreTX.com destination location but it's worth your time if you live in the area of uh, Wimberley and certainly uh, Kyle Buta Dri- Dripping Springs Make it your staple at Hayes City Store and Ice House. Time for halftime with more than 30 Longhorns still playing on Sunday rosters in the NFL. Uh, our man Nolan Hogan, the digital producer who fa- plays fantasy football, not at a high level, but plays. <laughs> Do not uh, this week. I did not start DJ Moore this week. Oh, with the Cleveland the Chicago Bears? Yes. Dang it. Dang it. I hate that the, happens. I thought the Bears sucked a little bit worse than the Washington Bears Commanders. still suck. I finally benched George Pickens and it hurt me with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I hate that in fantasy football. Uh, and the Jets defense, who I benched, who... Blew up yesterday. That's the way that goes. Uh, but the Longhorns showed out, including the Houston Texans playing in Atlanta and Bijan Robinson with the behind the back catch mm-hmm. and a touchdown. Bijan showing out. Who else played well for the Longhorns? Uh, well, to start off, since Quandre Diggs for Seattle played on Monday while we were recording, he had three solo tackles in that game against the Giants, a PBU and an interception. Uh, Roshan Johnson had a pretty mediocre game against Washington, three carries for 19 yards. Malcolm Roach, who I don't, I haven't mentioned once this year. I don't know if I just overlooked him over on the, the charts, but this week he had two tackles uh, against New England, and obviously Bijan had his 14 carries, 46 yards, two rece- two receptions, and a touchdown. Uh, Deshaun Elliott, for Miami Dolphins, played against the Giants. He had six tackles, five solo. Jordan Hicks has uh, against Kansas City had 10 tackles, six solo. Justin Tucker was one for one on field goals and one for one on extra points. And Deshaun Jameson for uh, Carolina had two tackles, one solo. 
All right, there you go. Uh, nice stuff. And our halftime, which is presented by our friends at One Source Gas, your one-stop shop in Central Texas for all your gas product needs. That's compressed gas uh, in compressed gas liter. One Source Gas provides compressed gas such as CO2, nitrogen, oxygen, propane, many more to various industries in the great state. Uh, they are your One Source Gas. They are your lead CO2 provider for the medical and service industry. So if you've got a restaurant, I'm talking about Hayes City Store, bar, um, and you also work in the medical industry, veterinarian as well, and you need those gases. They operate every single day, have for 12 years, understanding that exceptional customer service is the key to success when providing products to run your business, right? You can't run without them. You need them. That's why they've grown like they have, because they do it at a higher level than anyone else. If you need some compressed gas needs, or maybe you're interested in... uh discovering a, a better spot. That would be One Source Gas of Austin and Central Texas and beyond. It's onesourcegasatx.com online. That's one, the, spell out the number one, O-N-E, onesourcegasatx.com or call them 214-8484. That's 214-8484 and One Source Gas will get right to you. Uh, they're a small group, but uh, man, growing like crazy because they do it better than the competition at onesourcegasatx.com. All right, third quarter closed on time by our man Carlos Carrion, the Texas Mortgage Guy. That's thetexasmortgageguy.com here on the Eyes on Texas Multigas presented by Grande Equipment. Let's hear Sark with the bye week goals, the goals of the bye week. It's an important time. Right in the middle of the year comes at a good spot. You've played six games. You've won five of them. You have six to go. Sark on what this next week and the uh, the off week is all about. You know, obviously bye week. Uh, one thing that's going to be big for us this week is getting healthy. Um, we are we are a little bit banged up as a football team, which is understandable. I think everybody is at this point in the season. So, you know, we uh, we understand that. But it would be nice to to get a little bit more healthy than we are right now. We've got some issues to address collectively uh, and individually. You know, I think we need to create more turnovers from the defensive perspective. We're just we're not. We're not causing enough fumbles right now. Uh, we want to improve upon that. We definitely want to improve our red zone offense. Uh, we've already started working on that as a staff. Uh, I think our two-minute defense needs to be better. Um, so we're, we're, we're diving into that. And I think we need to get more out of our return game, whether it's punt return, kick return. we got too many good athletes right now uh, to not be getting more out of that aspect of the game. All right, uh, pretty specific right there, Mike, from Sark. I mean, we've got to force more fumbles. A lot of the things they talked about, they, uh, they need to improve. And the special teams has not been as special. I think it's been eh, skittish. That's a big area of improvement, I think, in the bye week. It feels like the weak spot, for sure, the special teams. You know, take away that, that punt block uh, touchdown, and they haven't just they haven't created many explosive plays. They've, they've lost a few. That that running into the kicker was, was a big one uh, in mm-hmm. the game, and so – uh, they got to clean that stuff up because, you know, as we've talked about it ad nauseum, uh, it, Texas is getting in their own way. And a lot of that stuff is just their own stuff, right? Not running into the kicker, making your field goals, uh, executing that doesn't have to do with the opponent doing anything. Agreed. And uh, Sark, pretty deliberate and blunt that uh, these are things we have to get better at. Because, look, if you want to be a champion, you're going to play that team again if you can survive the next six and you got to be better. And if you're going to win that game, then you're going to play beyond that. And, uh, you know, the goal is to continue to improve. Uh, and they didn't put their best foot forward, I didn't think, on Saturday. Uh, one more, the schedule for the bye week. So you folks here on the Eyes on Texas Multicast are aware of how it's going to play out, what their plan is uh, to get them ready for the Houston game. Also, as he said, get healthy. The key injuries right now, to remind you, Cole, H- Cole Hudson at right guard, Chris Ross on the D-line, Jake Majors at center, Ryan Watts with a hamstring at corner. Now you've got the uh, Jalen Catalan injury at safety. Uh, so they're trying to get healthy. C.J. Baxter. Limped off the field again. I mean, that's, what, three times in five games that he has been out there and not been able to finish the game. Got to get him healthy, too. But a quick note on that, Jonathan Brooks now second in the nation 
in rushing yards total for the season, having him a heck of a breakout year. Here's Sark on the bye week schedule, what they're going to work on here, not just work on, but uh, how they're going to plan it out. We did a we did more of a kind of recap of the game, recap of where we're at as a team, uh, what do we need to do moving forward so that everybody's on the same page. And then they did a pretty extensive lift and stretch and stride to kind of get their bodies back. Um, we'll practice Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, we'll place a, a real premium on our on our twos and threes to make sure that they get the reps they need uh, to keep kind of their their football physicality to where it needs to be, but also with our ones dealing and working on some of those issues that we talked about, right? Having a real a real sense of focus there. Uh, then we'll go out recruiting uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we'll come back on a staff as a staff on Sunday and get back in the office, and then Monday we'll be back on the field again. All right, there you go. There's your rundown. And we will be back with an Eyes on Texas multicast. Just one this week and one next week. Just you know our schedule. We're going to do this one. It'll drop, and you can watch it uh, in the middle of the week. And then we won't do a preview as we normally do, obviously, without a game. But we will come back with one episode next week to preview fully the week the Longhorns have had, how their, how their health is looking, and uh, the Houston Cougars, who we'll get to see, as you said, Mike, on Thursday night against West Virginia. So uh, not two episodes this week or next week, just the one. We'll take a bit of a bye week pause, too. We'll be back with two full coming out of Houston, looking forward to the next home game for the Longhorns. Uh, third quarter brought to you by our friend Carlos Carrion, thetexasmortgageguy.com. That's thetexasmortgageguy.com. When it's time for that new mortgage or refi, these are huge decisions. Our executive producer, Griffin Hogan, just bought a house, needed a new mortgage. Always better to work with an expert in the field. Carlos is just that to uh, almost a de- decade in the industry, lifetime, uh, lifetime Longhorn fan and lifetime Austinite. So he knows this market. He's keeping the, his finger on the pulse of it, uh, and he is a diehard Longhorn fan. So working with someone like that, talk football, talk eyes on Texas multicast. While you're getting the refi done or buying that new home, just makes sense. just works better. Carlos Carry on thetexasmortgageguy.com. Make sure you type in the V. Uh, he is the best. Uh, you know, over, as we said, almost 10 years in the industry. And it's not just there to, to uh, you know, answer. To, he wants to provide you with a, not just a quote. He wants to be the guide to help you solve the problems, the roadmap to strategize, one of the most important financial decisions of your life. And he's a great conversation just to talk it out. Hey, what do you think right now? When would be a good time to refi? When might be a good time to buy? Talk to him about that. And then when it's time to kick it in gear, he'll be your guy. He's Carlos Carrion, thetexasmortgageguy.com. That's thetexasmortgageguy.com. Also on social media, on Facebook, just search Carlos Carrion. That's two R's, C-A-R-R-E-O-N. That's C-A-R-R-E-O-N, Carlos. Also on Twitter, at Carlos Carrion, 30. Six, the TexasMortgageGuy.com. All right, fourth quarter presented by my new pearly white smile and the uh, great people at Dr. Greg Eckert and his team. Uh, our final four big conversations of the week. And Mike, we talked a lot of Texas football in the Big 12. What stood out to you? Big picture. You were at Aggieland for Al- Alabama and AM. If we're talking big picture, good for Texas that Alabama won again. That's their only losses to Texas. So that win continues to look really good for the Longhorns. Big picture. And in reality, we mentioned Wyoming is a one-loss team only to Texas. Same for Kansas, who uh, you know continue to keep winning outside of that Texas game. Even Rice is a three and two football team. Baylor is the only team the Longhorns have played that's not very good. Everyone else is uh, having a heck of a year. Not sure how Wyoming isn't ranked on every single AP ballot. Just don't understand that. Yeah, they beat Fresno State. Saturday. Yeah, killed them. Uh, it's a really good football team. Um, beat Texas Tech at home. It's, 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 Wyoming's a solid football team. A top twenty-five football team for sure. 
Uh, and Jimbo Fisher. You know, it's, I love the, my favorite part about college football is like how much I'm on a razor's edge it is at all times for the most part, especially at those big programs. Because AM goes to this into this game against Alabama with all the momentum in the world. And if they beat what feels like a less than Alabama team that, than we normally are used to, they're in the driver's seat to win the SEC West. You know, they'd have a tiebreaker against Alabama. They still have LSU and Ole Miss on the schedule. Like everything could have been going well uh, for AM. And instead of that happening, they outplay Alabama for most of four quarters just to lose the game because Jimbo Fisher has not reached the 21st century. You know, he doesn't go for it on fourth downs. He still kicks field goals when he should, and he called a timeout before he kicked a field goal and then onside kicked it with only two timeouts to Alabama, who then ran out the clock and just won the football game. Uh, I have no idea. We even see it with really good coaches like Andy Reid in the NFL. I have no idea how these coaches are so bad at time management when they get paid so much money. They just haven't played enough video games, I don't think. So you know, like they just haven't they haven't done enough of the quick time management stuff on the sticks before. Uh, that was fascinating to me because conversely, Nick Saban is is just a zombie. You know, every time Nick Saban is supposed to be dead and Alabama is supposed to be dead, uh, they just keep winning. And all of a sudden, if they win out, which it looks like they're going to in the regular season, they're just beating Georgia away from being back in the college football playoff in a year we assumed that they couldn't even go nine wins. Yeah, it's well said, uh, without a doubt. And uh, Alabama gets that win, helps Texas, and certainly hurts A&M. And huge crowd, 108,000 there. Yeah, it was great cool. environment, great scene. Uh, we Have also you ever been in the press box there? Uh, no, I've been on the field, though. I so, covered a game on the field. When you show up in the press box, there's you know the game notes and all that kind of stuff, like everywhere. The second line on A&M's press notes are, for first-time visitors, do not be alarmed when the press box sways during the Aggie War hymn. Because, like, as they're running out to the football field and they're singing that song and they do their little sway thing, you sit in the press box and you also sway back and forth. And it is maybe the coolest experience as a sports writer in college football. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Other great scenes from the weekend. We talked about maybe upset Saturday. We mentioned USC surviving uh, triple overtime with Arizona. Georgia handled their business. They beat Kentucky, beat them down pretty good. Georgia flexing a little bit for the first time this year. Michigan, uh, I don't know, Nolan, our digital producer, I sent you a cut on Twitter that maybe we can play. I don't know if you've got that. If you do, we can. Uh, P.J. Fleck uh, called Minnesota Minnesota head coach P.J. Fleck. Do we have that? Mm-hmm. Here's P, here is P.J. Fleck uh, talking about this Michigan team that's ranked number two in the country. They're as good as advertised. That's that's. I said this uh, on the radio a second ago. I think they're the best football team I've seen in 11 years of being a head coach. I've never seen a football team like that, that deep. I'm not sure if this is true, but I was told this walking off the field. I think they traveled 75 people and maybe played like 74 of them. I don't know. I mean, they've got, they're one of the deepest teams, one of the best teams, one of the biggest teams, fastest teams, strongest teams, and they do not make mistakes. They, they, are, they are truly like a boa constrictor, and they, they do not beat themselves. They're very good at each position. They're very aligned with everything that they do. They know who they are, and they go, they go and execute that game. I'd hate, to be, I'd hate to be number 75. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they said you played 74 out of 75. The long sna- it was the long snapper, by the way. It was the just the long snapper. Okay. Oh, because they never punted? N- never. I don't think so. Oh, that's insane. That's so awesome. If you played every single person on your traveling roster except for the long snapper because you never punted, that is so They dope. put them on the TV. They, they gave him a graphic that, to his own. The only incredible. player that didn't touch the field today. That's incredible. I entered the season thinking it was Georgia versus Michigan and then everybody else, and it feels like it's Georgia versus Michigan and everybody else. Yeah, I think Texas kind of poop down their leg a little bit on Saturday and takes them out of that conversation for now. Uh, but I look, Michigan has 
You mean to me, following what uh, Steve Sarkeesian has done here over the short amount of time to build the roster? Jim Barbaugh has been doing that for seven years now. Yeah, He's been building the roster with his type of guys, his type of players. And this is how you get that deep. I mean, he, he doesn't win the recruiting battles like by the rankings, but he's recruiting the guys he wants. He knows the type. It's a big, fast team. Uh, they're not recruiting five stars, but they're recruiting physical freaks up front, offensive linemen, and then speed. And now they have a quarterback in this J.J. McCarthy. They might be the best team in the country because I would pick, if they were playing Georgia right now in a neutral field, I would probably pick Michigan to win that game. Yeah, me too. Uh, the only thing that gives me a little bit of doubt is they just haven't played anybody with a real pulse yet. Like, And I don't think it'll, I don't know if it'll matter. Uh, but the last time I saw Michigan, they were playing TCU in the Fiesta Bowl and giving up 30-plus points. Right? That's right. So, That's right. Uh, I'd like to see them play against a team with a lot of speed. I, I think it, for me, and this is prejudiced, but I, I think, I look at Big Ten defenses the way I looked at SEC defenses before Nick Saban decided that he had seen Johnny Menzel win for the last time and he was going to get faster <laughs> and be good on offense. They always throw up all these stats of like the best defenses in the country, and they're always Big Ten defenses, but I would say that's because the offenses stink. Yeah. I agree. I, I don't disagree with you because they, they're not – because just like Georgia, uh, they haven't been challenged yet, right. and they will, right? They're going to play two top six teams mm-hmm. in Penn State and Ohio State. Ohio uh, State may not be good either. Well, when Ohio State did beat Maryland, they kind of struggled early and then pulled away, won that game. Marvin Harrison Jr. had a big game there. Uh, but Penn State is a team to watch, right? They beat West Virginia early in the year. They haven't lost, kind of like their quarterback, Drew Aller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously all the conversation about the West Coast and the Pac-12 is interesting. Uh, also, I was glad to see, well, by the way, Notre Dame's run came, because Notre Dame should be on a three-game losing streak, right? They lost to Ohio State. They should have lost to Duke. And now they lost to Louisville. But uh, appreciate Mario Cristobal today admitting that he was wrong not to take a knee and go to the locker room and could have been in the shower instead of Georgia Tech throwing a game-winning touchdown pass. Have you ever you've ever seen a call like that? Have you ever seen a coach? There's even a clock management blunders. Uh, if you missed the Miami-Georgia Tech game, it's 20-17. to 17, Miami's up. They cross midfield. Uh, Georgia Tech's out of timeouts. It's under 40 seconds. All they have to do is kneel the ball. That's all they have to do, take a knee. There's nothing Georgia Tech can do to stop the clock. And they ran a foot, ran a play. Not only did they run the play, the running back thinks he's like Earl Campbell or something. He's trying to run people over, fighting for extra yards. Ball pops out. Of course, gets ripped. And now all of a sudden, Georgia Tech has the ball, which they shouldn't have had because it should have been kneeled. And they go right back down the field and score a touchdown in four plays. And they lose a game that they would have been undefeated, Mike. Mike would have been five and zero. Oh. I don't. I mean, I, I don't know what you do to Mario Cristobal, but that he is he did it at Oregon. Uh, he did do that at they, Oregon. They found they found it where he did it at Oregon. I think the craziest place I, play I've ever seen in my life is Baylor did it uh, with Kevin Steele at, at head coach, like in the late '90s or early 2000s against UNLV. And UNLV picked up the fumble and ran it back for a touchdown. Kind of like that NFL play with, uh, what's that crazy coach that got in trouble at Arizona State? He did that with the Steelers like way back in the day where they were trying to kneel it. They fumbled it, and he picked it up and ran it back. I don't know why I'm blanking on that dude's name. He just coached at Arizona. Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards. Uh, he had a play like play that. Play to win the game. Right. He had he had a famous <laughs> play like that when he was a player for the Steelers where he did it. Joe Pisarczyk. Ba- Baylor did that you know, about 20, 23, two, 22 years ago against UNLV, and it cost him as well. Just kneel the ball. We've all played Madden. That was Joe Pisarczyk, yes. Uh, yeah, kneel the ball. Kneel the ball. That's hard to go to the press conference. It's like Marcus Freeman. Did you know you had 10 guys yeah. on the field? He saved Jimbo because, like, Jimbo had such a bad day. And then Mario, <laughs> like, held, held my beer. Held right? my beer. And then now all of a sudden we've forgotten that Jimbo went into a shell against Alabama, well, the most important game of his A&M tenure. Well, and doing a radio show here in Austin, Texas for 25 years now, in the morning, the the Cowboys kind of said, hold my beer for the Longhorns. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, okay, Longhorns at least fought, resilient, showed some things. 
Oh, then we watched the Cowboys on Sunday night, and uh, yeah, hold my beer. Are I we are we finally ready ready to admit the Dak Prescott truth that's been true for like? I've been long ready for been? four years. I've been ready for seven. When did he come out of Mississippi State? Uh, <laughs> that long. I don't think he's an elite quarterback. And Jerry Jones has now he's Alex Smith sold. He's sold. He's he's Kirk Cousins. He's Kirk yeah, Cousins. Yeah, that's right. You look at every stat of Kirk Cousins. They they line right up with yeah. Dak Prescott. Only difference is he wears a star on his helmet. And Jerry Jones sells hope, sells hope to his. He has sold hope to his fans with Tony Romo, an undrafted free agent who was a lucky find, and now Dak Prescott trying to sell them as elite quarterbacks. I think Romo was a really good player, but Dak Prescott is what he is. I take the Houston Texans young rookie over that C.J. Stroud. Oh, yeah. Take Brock Purdy in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that was bad. And you know, Dan Quinn, Dan Quinn's defense got got exposed in that game. And uh, yeah, Mike 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 McCarthy head to head with Kyle Shanahan. Oh, it's like Waterboy. Probably a mismatch. Yeah. And now he's calling plays. Yeah. And and think about the play the 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 the, the offensive strategy of the, of the Cowboys this offseason. Let's force our quarterback to do less because we're paying him forty five million dollars and he's not good enough to do more. So they fire Kellen Moore and by the way they're going to face Kellen Moore this week. That'll be fun. Yeah. And Kellen Moore and the Chargers have had a bye week to get ready for the Dallas Cowboys out in Los Angeles. That will be an interesting ballgame. All right, Mike, that's going to wrap it up. That's our Final Four. It's brought to you by our friend Dr. Greg Eckert. We told you about his Brain Vault technology, but that's kind of his side gig, uh, which is pretty amazing what he's doing with the Brain Vault. But uh, 27 years, Dr. Eckert has been a dentist here in Austin, Texas, uh, in Central Texas, right off far west, and specializing in tooth loss solutions and rest- restorations. So if you're talking about a single tooth or maybe multiple teeth or like me, this brand new smile at 50 years old, which I absolutely love, uh, they can do that for you. And they also, this one is a restoration that Dr. Eckert did with me. We built over top of my existing teeth, kind of gr- grind them down and then worked over top. He can also give you a brand new smile with permanently secured dental implants. He's over to restore over a thousand cases and those permanently secured dental implants, one visit. You do some pre-planning, you do some, uh, they get you, get you all measurements and everything. But when it's time to go, you get in there for one visit, one day, and you have a brand new smile. Uh, no time without teeth. It's not a long-term process. It's a one-time fix, and he's done over a thousand cases. So give him a call for uh, a consultation where you're the boss. You make informed decisions about your dental health care needs. It's Dr. Greg Eckert, 345-3166. That's 345-3166. Online at DrEckert.com, and that's Eckert with a U, U-E-C-K-E-R-T. Uh, that's going to do it. I want to thank Dr. Greg Eckert and his Brain Vault technology, those orthotics, the mouthpiece that allows you to play hard but play safe, One Source Gas of Central Texas, Hayes City Store, and Ice House, of course, and uh, Carlos Carrion, the TexasMortgageGuy.com. And, of course, we wouldn't be here without our presenting partner at Grande Equipment, locally owned, independent, but worldwide equipment company serving heavy equipment needs in Central Texas and around the world since 2004 at GrandeEquipment.com. Mike, where to this week, my friend? San Marcos, Texas State versus ULM. I have been to six uh, six different stadiums because of this Texas tour. All six have lost. Oh. Yeah. yeah. The KOD, the yeah. kiss of death is it's in our bad. midst. It's been bad. You've not seen a win yet for the home team. Uh, I did just when I went to Texas, Kansas, but that was like off script because I had already gone to Sam Houston for for that week. And so, yeah, this is back on the book tour, and I've yet to gone to to a team that has won on this book tour. Terrible, terrible, yeah. but it's fun, yeah. I'm sure. T.J. Finley will get about... it done. T.J. Finley will get it done. Yeah, they uh, should Can win. I talk about Texas State for one second and disappointing weekends? They were up two, They were up double digits, and they gave up two touchdowns in the last five minutes at Louisiana and lost that game. That one hurt because G.J. Uh, Kinney was about to be off to a 5-1 start and tough conference loss to the Raging Cajuns there. It looked like they had it. That was heartbreaking. But they will play ULM this week. Yep. 
Also, are you headed to El Paso next week, right? Yeah, for week eight, I will be in El Paso. Conference USA is doing this crazy thing where they're having a bunch of games on Tuesday and Wednesday all year. They're trying to get into that that Maction, uh, that Maction lane. And so I am going to UTEP for New Mexico State versus UTEP, which is the Battle of I-10. They're separated by about uh, 30 minutes. They're in Las Cruces there, New Mexico State. Uh, so that would be a lot of fun. I am on record of saying that El Paso is my favorite city in the state of Texas. Food? Food, people, less traffic. You're close to New Mexico where they allow gambling and there's mountains and, and national parks. You're within a driving distance of three different national parks. Uh, huge fan of West Texas. Love, love that. Love, El Paso. love that from Mike Craven. It's like yeah. the, the road atlas right there. Yeah, I travel a lot. You travel a lot. Well, that'll be fun. We're looking forward to it. And, uh, and you enjoy the tour. I will say that last week started 50 straight days of football, either mm-hmm. college or pro, 50 in a row. So we're on that streak now. And you're right. you got Monday night football tonight. you got Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, 50 days in a row starting last week. So... It's here. It's October. Uh, got, what else can you ask for? Uh, unfortunately, the Longhorns dropped a tough one, 34-30. It's a, a learn-from-it opportunity. Get back on the horse. Houston will be the opponent. We did tell you that that has been announced as a 3 o'clock in the afternoon kick time, one week from Saturday from, what's the name of the stadium? T-D-E-C-U. T-D-E-C-U. Touchdown. ECU. Uh, we'll learn that between now and then. Uh, we remind you to watch Houston play Thursday night against West Virginia. Uh, Longhorns need West Virginia news lose, and you get to see Dana Holgerson's team coming out of their bye week on Thursday night. We're a product of the Republic of Football on Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network uh, here on the Eyes on Texas Multicast, powered by Grande Equipment.